turn your Bible with us to Revelation chapter number 2. And if you are able to stand, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? And again, we just want to say to everyone watching by Facebook Live, we're so glad that you're with us. Believe that you're going to be strengthened, blessed, and encouraged this morning. I have something on my heart that I need to unburden today. I have entitled this message, The Intolerance of an Overcomer. The Intolerance of an Overcomer. Just let me say, we want to see everyone back tonight. Six o'clock, come with expectation. Monday, Tuesday night, six o'clock. The Intolerance of an Overcomer, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18. I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation as I really like the color it gives these verses. Listen to the words of Jesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching Deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I receive from my Father and will also give them the morning star. Now the morning star here indicates a special intimacy with Jesus. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the church. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I humble myself before you. Lord, you know on my best day I am incapable of being effective in my own ability. Lord, this congregation doesn't need information. They need revelation. And may revelation by the Holy Ghost come. Give us ears to hear today what the Spirit is saying to the church as a whole, but to this church. Open our hearts to be willing and glad to receive your Strengthen us, deal with us, convict us, draw us, change us. Let your word shoot like an arrow into our spirit today. We ask it in Jesus' name. As we're ready for you to get the glory for doing something awesome in this place. 
In Jesus' name we ask it, everybody said. Amen. You may be seated. While going through security at an airport, we are required to walk through a magnetometer and place our carry-on through an x-ray machine. The TSA agents are looking for things that are not allowed on the plane. If you have a liquid with a certain amount of content, they'll take it from you. If you've got a knife or a firearm, they'll notify you immediately that those things are unacceptable if you're planning on boarding the airplane. The agents are there to make it clear what the Transportation Security Administration will not tolerate. They are there to enforce what the plane will not accept. If you try to pass on through with something that is unacceptable, they will stop you and reject you from boarding the aircraft. If anybody here today has done any kind of traveling at all, you've probably seen or experienced people arguing with TSA agents and telling them why they are the exception to the rule and should be given a pass to take on the airplane that item that they want to take on the airplane. If you like that kind of thing, you can go to YouTube and just type in TSA arguments and have all the fun you want. And here in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is going to talk about the intolerance of an overcomer. If we are going to be overcomers, if we're going to be winners and not losers, if we're going to be victorious and not defeated, there are some things that we just can't tolerate. There are things outside the boundary that we have to refuse to accept. Now quickly let me give you some background on what's going on here so that you have a better understanding. Domitian, the Roman emperor who followed Nero, was probably one of or not mo the most hated, infamous emperor in the history of the Roman Empire. His favorite pastime was to torture criminals. Now, earlier in Revelation chapter 2, you may recall reading about the person Jesus mentions himself. As Jesus calls a man named Antipas, he says, Antipas, my martyr. When Jesus was addressing the church at Pergamos, where Jesus said that Satan's very seat was found in Pergamos. But it was Domitian who killed or murdered Antipas. Domitian constructed this huge, massive brass bull and he made a mold of that bull and placed it on the ground. It's huge. But he melted brass and he poured brass into that mold and when it cooled, he raised it up on the floor and bolted it into the floor. On the side of that brass bull was an opening. On the nose of the brass bull were long pieces of brass, different lengths with holes in them. It looked sort of like a bagpipe. And when air would be forced through those pipes and through the different sizes of holes and different lengths of pipes, it would make a kind of music. And what Domitian would do, one of his favorite things, was to put men inside that brass bull in the opening, lock them in, light a fire underneath that bull, and dry cook them until they were dead. That's how Antipas gave his life for the cause of Christ. Now, Antipas, excuse me, Domitian had declared himself Lord and God. He censored, imprisoned, exiled or killed anyone who refused to worship him as God. Now John the Apostle refused to bow to Domitian's lordship, was arrested and taken from his home in Ephesus, put on a ship and sent to Rome to stand trial for treason. When John refused to bow to the pressure, he was ordered to be thrown in that huge pot or vat of boiling oil, but the man just wouldn't cook. What do you do with somebody you can't kill? It was underneath Domitian's lordship 
if you will, leadership that the Isle of Patmos was purchased. Patmos was 24 miles off the southeast coast of what was what we now call Turkey, then called Asia Minor. If you will, it was the Alcatraz of the first century. They're going to, if you guys put that picture up there, that's um, the one just before that. That that's to give you a picture of the island. It was very rocky. It was very rugged. Uh, it was very steep, and it was full of caves. Now, prisoners sent here were considered to be the scum of the earth. And when prisoners exited the ship, they were divided into two categories, either common criminals or political offenders. Common criminals were scourged often, but were provided clothing, food, and water. Political offenders were allowed to roam the island freely, but were not provided food, clothing, or water, and were responsible for their own survival in the harsh conditions of the island. Most died of starvation. Now you can imagine wandering around on an island like that with criminals considered to be the scum of the earth trying to find water as a political offender provided no food, no water, no clothing, no shelter. You had to fend for yourself. And remember that John the Apostle was 90 years old when he went here. So imagine a 90-year-old man wandering all over that island trying to survive. The scholars believe he was probably there about 18 months or so. And John had not seen Jesus face to face in over 60 years. Over 60 years hadn't seen his Savior. He made it clear in Revelation chapter 1, the reason that I'm on the island of Patmos is because of my testimony for Jesus Christ. Now show me that other picture of the cave there. there. This is the cave that was believed. But can you imagine after all that time, all of a sudden, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And Jesus, He had the experience of the exalted Christ. As Jesus here, the Bible says that he heard a voice behind him like a trumpet. I want you to picture having been on that island in his condition. All of a sudden he hears a voice behind him like a trumpet and he turns to see what it was. And it says he saw one standing in the midst of those seven candlesticks. And he fell to the ground like a dead when Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He touched John on the shoulder, said, John, you don't have to be afraid. It's me. I'm the one who was dead but is alive forevermore. And said, you're not about to retire. You're about to refire because I've got a job for you to do. And interestingly enough, in case you didn't know it, John didn't die on Patmos. He went back to pasture in Ephesus. Well, some scholars believe the church exceeded 100,000 people under his leadership. That's not my message today, but somebody needs to know you're not going to die on Patmos. You're going to make it. Oh, that'll preach right there. So Jesus employs John to dictate these letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey, but this Morning for the next few minutes, we're going to focus on the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was a Greek city in far west Turkey. Thyatira was known for its guilds, its unions, and its clubs. Now, some of, somebody here today might belong to a union of some kind. Now, I, we understand that unions are designed to provide certain benefits, protections, and guarantees to the people who participate in that particular enterprise. It's an official gathering of people who share the same occupation. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we discover the Apostle Paul met a woman of Thyatira whose name was Lydia, and he led her to Jesus. This woman, Lydia, was a very influential person. She was a merchant who sold very high-end, expensive, exquisite purple linen. So the church begins to grow in the midst of this secular city filled with guilds 
unions and clubs. Now you need to understand some details concerning how these unions worked so you can understand why Jesus said the things that he said to the church in Thyatira. Each particular union had three aspects. There was a career or occupation aspect. There was a social aspect and a religious aspect. The occupation aspect brought together people of the same occupation for protection and benefits. The social aspect included parties and activities to enjoy the company of those involved in a similar career. The religious aspect required each member of the union to worship the God of that union. Each union had its own God. So the problem occurred when the people who belonged to these unions got saved and became followers of Christ. They were expected to worship that particular union's God and party with the members of that union, which involved many ungodly, vile practices. So you can see how this would create a crisis for these Christians who had just changed their citizenship to the general assembly of the firstborn and given their previous life of sin a notice of eviction. How many of you still believe that when you get saved and come to Jesus, we give our previous life of sin a notice of eviction? We can all understand this crisis this morning because every single one of us have been or are currently in this very crisis right now. Whether in your family, in a secular job, or even in the ministry, we have all had situations where we were challenged, expected, or even demanded to compromise spiritual values in order to keep the family peace, get a raise or promotion on our job, or in some cases to keep our job. We have all been told at one time or another, and we'll get to it later, but we're being told a lot right now in the United States of America, if you're going to make it around here, you're going to have to go along to get along. This is the scenario of how Thyatira operated. And the conflict of the believers in the church who belong to these unions in the city. Now in verse 18, Jesus says, write this letter to the pastor of the church in Thyatira. Jesus says, this is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Another version says, like burnished brass. You see, previously Jesus has already been introduced as the Son of Man, but on this occasion He introduces Himself as the Son of God. Now we know that Jesus is both. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, causing her to conceive and a virgin would give birth to a baby. That makes Jesus the Son of Man. So undiminished deity pours into sinless humanity, makes Jesus both the Son of God and the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, He relates to our humanity. As the Son of God, He relates to God's deity. He has one hand in heaven and the other hand on earth. He's got one foot in glory and the other foot in history. As the Son of Man, He can feel you, but as the Son of God, He can handle you. He's stating here in this letter, I'm writing to you as the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning flames of fire, which means that He can penetrate everything that's going on. When you walk through those metal detectors at the airport, it doesn't matter how well you might have something concealed in your suitcase, because the all-seeing eyes of the metal detector are going to see what's in there. Not long ago, I was flying to preach a camp meeting and a man in front of me had wrapped a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper in a bunch of shirts thinking it wouldn't be seen. But the all-seeing eyes of the x-ray machine saw the two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper and revealed what was in there. You listen to me today. The penetrating, fiery eyes of Jesus look into the depths of our hearts and He sees past the facade that many times can fool others. He knows whether or not we've truly been born again. He knows whether or not we've moved past professing Christ to possessing Christ. Verse 18 says, He's also got feet like polished bronze, which means Jesus has eyes to see it 
but he's got feet to get to it. Polished bronze is shiny. The feet of Jesus dispel darkness as he comes to us. Jesus presents himself here as the authoritative, all-seeing one to these Christians in difficult circumstances, caught in unions with ungodly expectations, and to the church as a whole in Thyatira, who are being seduced by the self-proclaimed prophetess Jezebel. Jesus spoke directly to the church of Thyatira, and Jesus is speaking directly to Oak Grove Assembly of God this morning. And he's saying, I see you. My eyes that see all see your hurts. I see your struggles. I see your family. I see your trials. I see the pressure you're under to battle the God of this world. And I see how you're standing in the midst of Jezebel's lies. And my feet of polished bronze, my feet of burnished brass are exposing Jezebel and Satan's plan to deceive the church in these final days before the rapture. Jesus is saying, I see you swimming upstream in spiritual warfare establishing my kingdom on the earth. In verse 19, Jesus commends them for their love, faith, service, and patient endurance. Jesus even says, I can see your constant improvement and I'm proud of you. You're getting better. You're growing. But after commending them, Jesus criticizes them. Jesus writes to the church of Thyatira acting as a good parent should. As parents, we have to balance the praise and the correction. Our children need to hear our praise of them. They need to hear that we're proud of them. They need to hear that I love you with all of my heart. You're my favorite boy. You're my favorite girl in all the world. But they also have to hear us get down to business with them in correction at times. My dad would pick me up and put me on the washer where he could look at me eye to eye. He would say, now Creston James, you know you're my favorite boy. I love you with all my heart. But if you do that again, I'm going to bust your tail. We need some more of that. As Jesus praises them, but then has to criticize them. In verse 20, he says, I've got a complaint against you. You're tolerating that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. So what is the problem that Jesus is having with the church of Thyatira? His problem is what they tolerate. What are we tolerating that is stealing the peace of God from our home? Just let me insert this. There's a difference in trying to keep peace and making peace. Some people try all the time to keep peace when you have to step up in a Holy Ghost authority and make peace. What are we tolerating in our marriage that's keeping us from true communion together and proper alignment under God and Christ? What are we tolerating that is keeping us from faithfulness to God's house? What sin are we tolerating that we know is hindering total surrender and freedom in Christ? What relationships are we tolerating that we know are not God's will and are leading us away from our destiny? What voices are we tolerating that are competing with the voice of the Holy Spirit? What offense have we been tolerating that is festering and causing our heart to become hard and our joy to leak out? What excuses are we making for going along with what Jezebel is peddling? What are we trying to talk Jesus to letting us on the plane with? We first find Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31. She was the daughter of a king and the wife of King Ahab. She was a worshiper of Baal, the pagan fertility god. And she, through her influence, basically forced her husband into worshiping Baal. 
Jezebel had such powerful influence that she threatened Elijah, the prophet of God, and used 850 false prophets to declare and enforce this rebellion and worship of the god Baal. And there were some other folks standing around that knew it was wrong. And what they said was, well, that's her business. I ain't got nothing to do with that. This is how we say it. I'm not supposed to judge. Listen to me, Oak Grove. We are always to judge the distinction between truth and error. We must judge legitimately. We must judge compassionately. We must judge lovingly. We must judge responsibly. We must judge biblically. We must love people, but if their ideas, perspectives, or self-made theology go against what God says, we cannot accept it. God's word is the standard. We hold love and truth together. You can't sacrifice truth, love for truth, and you can't sacrifice truth for love. In this culture, truth has been sacrificed for love. Truth without love is harsh. Love without truth is dangerous. There used to be a time in this nation when people as a whole honored biblical values. Even if they didn't live by them, they respected them. Today, this nation uses every possible media outlet and social media outlet to publicly flaunt its rejection of the Bible. We are told now, and even our own president, and I quote, he said, if your eight-year-old child says they want to be transgender to make life easier, they have a right to transition, and there's no reason for you to deny it. We must understand the purpose of transgenderism and why it has come like a firestorm in these last days. James chapter 3 says that out of confusion comes every evil work. Satan's plan is to bring a firestorm of confusion that breeds an exponential level of evil and the effects of it. That's what we're experiencing in our nation and world right now is there has been a, a plague of confusion unleashed. Where a man wakes up on a Monday morning and says, you know what, I've been a man all of my life, but I'm not supposed to be a man, I'm supposed to be a woman. We've lived through a time when people have been told to use whichever bathroom they wish, causing confusion to children about the definition of male and female. Abortion has become the easy way out for a generation who does not want the burden or responsibility of parenthood but wants the gratification of an immoral lifestyle. The same people who are shouting we need to save the planet are the same people marching so they can murder innocent babies. Early in the presidential race last year, for the first time in history, a presidential candidate kissed his husband in front of the entire nation, paving the way for homosexuality not only to be even more widely accepted, but even paving the way for, to find itself in the highest office of our land. Just over seven months ago, on February 25th, the Equality Act was introduced to the U.S. House of Representatives. This act would require all to confirm and conform to LGBTQ and transgender ideology regardless of their religious beliefs. It will require doctors to perform gender transition surgeries and classify any refusal to perform abortions as unlawful pregnancy discrimination. Our president praised the Equality Act urging Congress to pass it quickly because he wanted to codify the courage and resilience of the LGBTQ movement. Homosexuality, which is so destructive to spirit, soul, and body, has been praised and promoted by those who are the most influential of our nation. This lifestyle attacks the very root of the family, God's living picture of His master salvation plan, which I mentioned earlier. The goal is to present another picture of love to be accepted. This distorts and perverts God's picture. Satan uses, abuses, and destroys people in the process while presenting to the world this new picture of love. It is not the pleasure and gratification of the flesh that Satan desires to give people. It is the destruction of the soul he desires. And here is where truth and love 
come together. And if you're watching by Facebook Live, I want you to listen to this preacher. And I want every person in this room to listen to this preacher. And what I'm about to say, I say unapologetically, and I say it with a heart full of love. No person that's ever been born has been born a homosexual. Every person that's ever been born has been born a heterosexual. But through deception, most of the time, I understand somebody can be born into an environment where there that is pushed, that is encouraged to, for them to live that lifestyle. Most of the time, though, that spirit comes and it is a spirit from hell itself that comes to deceive people most of the time in a time of loneliness or a time of rejection or a time when they're not being accepted and the enemy comes through this spirit and says hey you'll be accepted here you'll be loved here come let me move you over into this place and through deception and bondage brings them into that place anybody listening to me but has been bound in this lifestyle you hear me you were born to serve the Lord you were born to have God's blessing on your life you were born to serve Jesus Christ. You were born to know who he is. It is not God's will for you to die and perish and lose your soul for eternity. Understand the enemy of your soul is using this to deceive you and to dupe you and to use you and prostitute your body to get as a, as a, as a something with sin he can put his hands on to use you, to use you up and to bring sickness and destruction upon your body while on the way to destroy your spirit but the spirit of God would say to you right now there's life and more abundant life Jesus loves you he wants to save you he can cleanse you and wash you and if anybody in this room today is struggling and maybe nobody knows it you need to understand from this preacher that is not God's will for your life Jesus loves you he gave his life for you there is freedom there is liberty there is healing the truth of God is being sent to you this morning and you can know what it is to have a reason to get up in the morning and experience abundant life. Hallelujah. God's very word and God's very character condemn the very things I've just mentioned. However, never forget while hating the sin and the wicked agenda Oh, hear it, the wicked agenda that's behind gender modification. Why the enemy wants to keep people in utter confusion so they miss their destiny and he can take them like Play-Doh and destroy their life, using them for his wicked purposes. Abortion, homosexuality, and same-sex marriages, all of those things God will not accept, but God loves the sinner passionately. God loves humanity so much He gives clear guardrails and boundaries and the reasons why. A person has to step over the love of God to listen to the lie of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel has wrapped itself around the neck of this nation, attempting to squeeze out its very breath. So when the voice of the church or the voice of bold men and women of God cry out and take a stand for what God's word says and declare that what Jezebel says is a lie. That spirit tells us exactly what she told Elijah. You better get on the run because by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. They say, hey, if you're going to be a true American, if you want to be a part of the union, if you want to be accepted around here, you're going to have to do what we tell you to do. If you're going to be, if, if you don't want your church to be shut down, you're going to have to preach what we tell you to preach. What Jezebel wants, Jezebel takes. How does she operate? By intimidation. Kings, First Kings 21 tells us of a man named Naboth who owned a vineyard near her palace. Bible says she wanted it, so she basically paid off two witnesses to lie. She took his vineyard and had him taken outside the city and stoned to death. Corruption, theft, overreach of power, dishonesty. These are the picture of Jezebel. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The founders of this great nation built our foundation on the principle that the righteous should rule. 
Proverbs 29 verse 2. You need to memorize it. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Patrick Henry said, and I quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians. There is a difference. Not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as the church with the right spirit of course must refuse to tolerate standing by and start standing up. Local municipalities, county government, state legislature, and governors to the halls of Congress, the Supreme Court, and yes, even the White House will give an account to God as to whether or not their decisions, policies, and verdicts were carried out according to God's righteousness. Make no mistake about it, extreme shame and scare tactics will increase. Our president said in a town hall meeting in December of 2019, he said that all Christians who will not go along with LGBTQ ideology should be placed on the terrorist watch list. I ask you this morning, where are the Moseses who will tell Pharaoh to let God's people go? Where are the Nehemiahs who will take a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other and tell Sanballat and Tobiah, I'm doing a good work and I refuse to come down and waste my time even giving you the time of day. Where are the Daniels who when told not to pray, open their window three times a day and pray anyway and go all the way to the lion's den believing that their God will shut the mouth of the lions. Where are the Jeremiahs who when told to change your message because we don't like it, say the message stands. I will say what God God gave me to say. Where are the Peters and Johns who look the high counsel in the face and say, we're not careful to answer you. There's no other name under heaven given unto men whereby we can be saved. And you can decide whether or not you think it's right or wrong. But we're never, ever, ever, ever going to shut up about what we've seen and what we've heard. Mm-hmm. I can preach this morning. Jezebel of Thyatira was operating in the same spirit as Jezebel of 1 Kings. She was saying that God approved of sexual immorality and led the church in that lifestyle. She was saying that food sacrificed to idols was permissible to eat and was happy to serve it up for everyone. There were many of these Christians who were new to Christ, coming out of pagan and idol worship, who were needing to close the door to all of those practices from their former ungodly life, but she was happy to let the church believe that being spiritually sick wasn't that bad at all. She was so smooth, she'd become like a David Koresh or a Jim Jones. Not long ago, I was preaching out in West Texas near Abilene. One of the largest cults in the United States is found out there just outside of Clyde, Texas, called the House of Yahweh. Hundreds of people have been taken under the leadership of a man who's just taking from them for himself, saying he speaks for God. She was saying, God told me to say this. She was saying, I'm sent here from God to lead you into that deeper relationship. Yet saying things that God did not say. And just let me say this today. If you say God told you, you better know God told you. Our God gets blamed with a whole lot of stuff that He never said. And it is dangerous stuff to speak for God and say God told me to say when God did not say to say. She was being used by Satan To lower the standard of righteous living. And the church was tolerating. Growing up, I had a cousin. We were very close. and We played a lot of basketball. And he was a little bigger than than everybody. And um, loved him, drove me crazy. I got a cousin like that. He loved him to drive you crazy. We played a lot of basketball, and <clears throat> my dad was a really good player. I was a pretty good player. And now my cousin, he he wanted to use a women's size basketball because he could palm it. 
look real impressive to all of the kids on the street. But my dad would never let me use any size but regulation size because if I practiced and played with a ball that wasn't the correct size, it'd mess up my game. My cousin was also one of the first people I knew back in the day had one of those adjustable basketball goals. He was too cool for school, man. And he loved to put that goal down about seven feet and play it because he could dunk. My dad would never let me play. It wasn't because my dad was a control freak. It was because he understood that if I sacrificed the principles and playing around there all the time with my cousin and played on a seven-foot goal, when I got in the game to the ten-foot goal, it'd mess up my shot. What was my cousin doing? He's lowering the standard so that he could dunk. He was lowering the standard to make it easy for himself. That's what Jezebel did when she wove her way into that congregation of Thyatira. Sent by Satan. I was in a church not too long ago that a witch from a coven of witches had been sent there to stir up any problem she could. In a matter of weeks, she was teaching a Sunday school class. She would dance around the altar and she would speak in tongues. And everybody just thought she was the stuff. God has sent her here. Bless this church. How many have ever heard anyone mimic tongues? Come to find out, after a few months, there was a a saint of God in that church who was fasting. And the Lord revealed to her this woman's true spirit. found out she wasn't teaching the Sunday school curriculum. She was teaching homosexuality to middle school girls. A Jezebel had been sent there. And that's what Jezebel does. She's sent with her cunning influence and her intimidation and her control. Most of the time, very flashy. Most of the time, talented, most of the time good with people. And in essence, here's what Jezebel did. She, after being accepted and weaving her way as into not only in the congregation, but into spiritual leadership, and Jesus indicates that there's a large number of people that are going along with her teaching. And in essence, here's what she did. She said, you know... All of you who have been focusing on this life of commitment and consecration, holiness and abstinence from questionable things and ungodly things, God's been, He sent me here to correct you, but that's actually shallow Christianity, and I'm here to take you into the deeper things. She said, because unless you experience the depths of sin, you cannot relate to people. So she said, in order for you to understand what the alcoholic goes through, you're going to have to get out there and drink a little bit. And I'm going to lead you in that. And I'm going to teach you how to identify so that we can be better witnesses. She said, in order for you to know and understand what the drug addict goes through and deals with, we're going to take some recreational drugs and I'm going to show you, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to move into that because you'll never understand where they are unless you experience them. Then she said, which was her favorite, in order for you to understand what the sexually immoral experience and go through, those that are bound up in this life of immorality, you're going to have to delve into that to be able to understand that. And I'm here to lead you in so that you can identify with what. 
so that's what she did. But Jesus said, I gave my life for that church. You think I'm going to stand by and just let Jezebel do what she wants to do? No, sir. Jesus writes a letter from himself. Jesus says over in verse number 22 and verse number 23, he said, I'll cast her. First of all, he said that she's called herself a prophetess in verse 20. And she's seducing them to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols and compromise. He says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, but she didn't want to repent. Everybody in this room knows what the convicting power of the Holy Ghost is all about. Most of us do. When when the Holy Spirit comes to convict our heart, and this let me, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Everybody that's listening needs to understand that if you're listening to this preacher, the Holy Spirit never condemns. By His loving conviction, He pulls us toward Jesus. But in that conviction, we start to feel badly about the way that we've been living that we know is not in line line with the Word of God. We, we, We know that we're not where we need to be, so we start feeling badly about that. That's good. That's called godly sorrow. That's what we need a revival of today. It's for people to to get sorry about the way that they're living and rebellion against God's Word, which leads to repentance. On the other side of that godly sorrow is joy unspeakable and full of glory. So you know that when, when you, most people in here got saved, the Holy Spirit kept working on you. He kept drawing you. He kept convicting you. He kept sending His love to you. So you know that He dealt with her and dealt with her and dealt with her. But He said, she didn't want to repent, so I'm going to cast her into a bed. And I'm going to judge her in a very harsh and powerful way. And the people that continue on with her, I'm going to throw them in that bed with her and they're going to get what she's going to get. But I'm going to give you time. I'm I'm going to give you a chance to repent. Because that's just the way He is. He gives people an opportunity to get right, to repent, to turn. But He said, if you don't, you're going to experience what she's going to experience. But He said, there's also some of you who have not gone along with her. And I see you and I know you. Hallelujah. He said, I'm not going to ask anything of more of you. Said, I'm not going to put any more burden on you, but to say you just keep on keeping on. You keep hold of what you have and don't let go. And those of you who hold fast till I come and you overcome and you keep my works to the end, I'm going to give you power over the nation. You're going to rule with me, Jesus said. You're going to have the same authority I have you're going to have. And I'm going to give you the morning star. Well, you got something better than that. I want it after church this today. But if you are in this house and the Holy Spirit has continually dealt with you and dealt with you and dealt with you and convicted you and is drawing you, I beg of you, do not keep putting off his conviction and pushing him away. But respond today. Respond now. If I was in this room and I knew that I had sin in my life, if I was in this room and I knew I wasn't right with God, if I was in this room and I knew that my life was displeasing to God, I would not wait another second. I would fall on my knees right now and say, Jesus, forgive me. And nobody in this room would judge you because this should never be a time when anybody in this house can't repent of anything at any time. 
That's why we turn the lights on today. The intolerance of an overcomer. And the closer that we're moving to the rapture, I believe I'm looking at the rapture generation. I believe I'm talking to people right now when are going to go up in the rapture. The more we're going to have to keep these lines drawn around ourselves and our family. Some of us today in this altar are going to draw some new guardrails. Maybe there's been some things in our house we've been tolerating we shouldn't be tolerating. Maybe there's just some things we've all, we've, we've all gotten tired before in the busyness of life and let some things slide. And the Holy Ghost is saying, listen, you, this needs to be buttoned up. The window's open here. The enemy can get in. And today the Holy Ghost is going to show us areas that need detention so that we can draw those lines by His Spirit and tighten things up in our life, in our house, in our marriage, in our relationship with our family. Maybe I'm talking to somebody today, but on your job, there's a lot of pressure to give in, a lot of pressure to be a part of the boys, a lot of pressure to do what to do what everybody else is doing. I, we're, I'm, we're experiencing it all over this nation with ministry wives who are being tempted, who are trying to be 15, 16 years old again, who are moving into relationships they have no business being in, trying to recapture their youth, running all over town at all areas of the night, clubbing here, going there, drinking here, finding themselves in relationships with other people they've got no business being in because the door was open and they found deception. Jezebel spoke her lie and they took it in. We've got to draw and tighten some things up in our life. Stand with me today. I want our worship team to come, our musicians. But I believe I'm looking at a bunch of overcomers today. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at people going to receive the morning star. I'm looking at people going to rule with Christ. And his, with his, the same authority he has. But we have a tendency to give ourselves too much credit. We think we can handle everything. And I've been in church all of my life and I know the word of God and I'm this and I'm that. There's a whole lot of people been saying that a long time that give themselves exclusions from things they shouldn't open their life up to things they got no business being involved in that they say I can handle and it's opening the door to them walking away from that close relationship with Jesus and being deceived you hear me none of us can think for a minute I can do this on my own I can let sin in my life and get by with it I can cheat here I can compromise there and it won't affect me because I'm spiritual you better look yourself in the mirror today by the Holy Ghost you and I better tighten things up as the Holy Spirit is speaking by His love and His compassion. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm asking you today, are you right with Jesus? I'm asking you this morning, do you know Him as your personal Savior? Are you living in that up-to-date relationship? Or have we gotten lax in some things? Have we let some things in the house? Have we opened the door to some things? Have we been looking the other way? And the Holy Spirit is saying, you can't tolerate that anymore. Some of us have been tolerating the devil lying to us, and it's time to shut him up in the name of Jesus.